0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. I am your host, Brian Bikey, and joining me again, as always, the men, the myths, the legends, Ryan and Kenny. Gentlemen, how are you tonight? I wouldn't
1: say we're myths or legend, but we do have, men may even be a stretch at some
2: point, but we, we're we half of that. <laughs> I, I think we're definitely, definitely myths of any of those, but that's for sure. We're myth. Well, I don't know. There's even, been a
0: lot of a lot of praise so far on the on the new on the rye that's come out. And you still got residuals from the last run of the the bourbon. There's definitely some legends there. Every, all the articles I'm reading, right? Are just talking about this master blender. Ryan Cecil, the master blender.
2: One hit wonder over here. Yeah, it's one and done. Let's see if I can follow it up. Uh yeah, it's been it's been pretty crazy and I'm I'm so thankful that we've gotten such positive reviews. That's something I was hoping for, but you'd never expect. And you're always nervous when you put something out there with your name on it. And you're like, well, hope they like it. Has uh, anyone challenged you to a blend and, contest yet? Like, I know you guys got a lot of fans, so I didn't know. If you were uh, best I like
0: saying, that. Hey, I'm going to send you some stuff Let's see if you can outblend me.
2: Well, ironically, <laughs> I had lunch with, uh, Trey Zoller today. And we were talking about not doing a blend off, but doing a blending, uh, exercise down, menu, work, yeah. exercise something yeah so maybe we'll be like it's on bitch What's up? <laughs> what would the stakes Wait, be between you and trey on something like that if i win you gotta give me one of those 13 year barrels 13 14 whatever your oldest barrel is you gotta give it to us too bad he doesn't have any of those stitzel willow barrels still sitting around those were those were cherry back oh, in the day man. gosh i know and the the crazy thing is is like He couldn't even sell those. Him and Julian would go to like Whiskey Fest and do, or he's telling, you know, go to like Bardstown Bourbon Festival and they'd be like, buy one case, get one free, you know, of of Stitzel Weller juice. And people are like, nah, nah, where's my Jim Beam white label? You don't know that he doesn't have any until you challenge him to a blend off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Say what I win if I win is this. And then that's when you really find out
2: Oh, maybe he does have at least one more there. He brings out some big guns to the blend off. Allegedly, they're not. If it is, it's got to be tanked in something. Uh, Never heard of that. uh, (laughs) Who does that? Yeah. Anyways, blending has been great so far. First two batches. And so just got to keep going going with it and try to replicate it at scale. And, you know, that's going to be the next challenge. Something I'm up to. I'm up for. Yeah, it's fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to working and being able to choose more barrels and be more nitpicky versus just, like, saying, confined with these barrels, make it happen, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm excited about that. And doing it for the next 30 years.
1: Like, that's, that's the other thing. Forever. Like, yeah, forever. Forever. Yeah. For, new, and, yeah forever new forever. Yeah. For however long God lets me live on this earth, I will blend. Yeah. A, a very Sandlot kind of forever we would need to figure out how long that's going to be. Yeah. It's, I think that's the scary thing with it is it's been fun to, to put this out there and we have all these plans of where it's going to go and what we can potentially do with it. And I know Ryan and I, that's one thing that we've been talking about over the past probably two weeks or a week is, you know, the the 10 year roadmap and where it's going to go. And we had this idea and it's, it's kind of like fingers crossed. I hope we still are able to own this small piece of the pie. There's so many things that could happen, between now and even when the whiskey we're putting down now comes to age that could potentially disrupt all that. And it's it it's scary, but you know, if if we always like to say, as long as people are still drinking bourbon for the next ten years, I think we're gonna
2: be okay. Yeah. And if we've learned anything from the past two or however long you're whenever you're listening to this, three years, four years, we are Very terrible at predicting the future (laughs) as humans. We've been wrong uh, for
1: so long. We're like, ah, the bubbles burst, right? It's almost over. We think
2: we're, and we think we're in control of everything and we're not. So it's like things you can't even think about are going to happen and you just got to roll with it and have that, that aim, you know, you go towards and just whatever happens, adapt and keep working towards that aim and hope you have enough money to get there. (laughs) (laughs) I think
0: this I think some of this stuff is a good lead into what I wanted to talk about tonight which is talking about the trajectory or the future or where the industry is going. So I want to talk about it again from both sides now from you all too. I know that you all recently did a, a This Week in Bourbon episode kind of going over some things that maybe we'll revisit on this, but anyone who hasn't tuned into that, because again, at the time of listening to this podcast, who knows, but uh, I'll link that in the show notes too, if you want to get a little bit more information, but but yeah, let's talk about where the industry's going and and if those things, those trends, you know, if they're good, if it's good for the industry, if it makes the product better. As I normally do, I'll leave it pretty open ended, and then I have some other questions we'll dive into as we as we get going. But where do you think the industry is
1: headed? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of go first with it, and I think I remember last time, or even from there, is that that episode is that you know it depends on how far your elevator is going up because that's just the only way things are trending right now. There is a bunch of capital. There's a bunch of people with money that are throwing stuff at it, whether it's from an individual perspective, from an investment perspective. If it's from the distillery side, they're all in on it. I mean, we are just now starting to see the point where whiskey is just as popular now as it was, I think, in the 1930s. Like, we're just now starting to get to that that point where we're starting to see those, those sort of lines intersect. And that means, and, and not only that, is when we think about what the 1930s was, that was the popularity of whiskey and the amount of cases and consumption. But now we have to look at it from a population perspective. And the population now that it was in the 1930s is, I, I don't, I. Don't have a Wikipedia handy with me, but I can guarantee you, it's just a little bit more than it was in 1930. Mm. So, yeah, it wasn't 330 million people exactly. So the the just in the U.S. mm -hmm. So the the whiskey consuming population is going to continue to grow. We are going to see see that trend continue as well. We've seen a lot of things that have happened now within the past. I don't know, probably a few months that you've seen a lot of people like Anheuser-Busch and other folks like that go to this sort of no alcohol, low alcohol beverage sort of thing because there's a younger generation coming in that isn't as big on spirits or big on alcohol. They might be big on different vices, but you're gonna see that trend continue as well. From just the overall category, you're you're just gonna continue, continue to see this grow. Everybody's putting in more money, Uh, millions to hundreds of millions of dollars that are being invested between every single distillery to put in more warehouses, more still capacity. I think the one thing that has been relatively interesting, and it's worked to our benefit as well as worked to everybody else's benefit, is that you are going to see a lot more distilleries that are going to be able to do contract distillation. And that's what we are, of course, doing is we're doing that contract distillation everywhere. And that those contract distillation contracts, if you will, have now been saturated. I mean, they're to the point where you can't get in to a lot of these places until 2026, 2025, 2027, because people have already bought that still time uh, for the next however many years. And that goes to show you just how popular the whiskey market is. It also goes to show you not just from a popularity perspective of a consumption, but from an investment perspective, that's just not people like us or Kentucky Owl or... X, Y, Z that want to put down barrels. I mean, these are people that are looking at it as a gold rush and, and we are going to continue to see that happen. And whether it's at BBC, whether it's Wilderness Trail, whether it's at the other four or five distilleries around Kentucky that are going to do that, um, you're going to see that, that happen. Now we will see, I, I'm just going on a tangent here, but I, th- I feel that we are going to see a, a shift in the types of alcohol and types of bourbon that you're going to see in the market in a few years. And that's going to be because of exactly that. You have all these barrels that are going down and they're going to try to come online and you're going to see a lot of four-year-old product at the market. And if and that's because the 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 wholesale market is going to be saturated at that point because there's going to be so many barrels that are available and people want to go create brands. They want to go do something. And so you're going to see these small brands come up, these things that you've never heard of, or whether they're shadow brands that other people that you know that are just creating things just to put them out there because they have a way to get it to market. And the idea behind a lot of these investment barrels is that they're going to have an issue getting themselves to market. Going from barrel to bottle to on a retail shelf is no easy feat. Getting something into the barrel and selling it pretty easy. And when I say selling it, selling it trading hands is, is actually fairly easy, but getting into the bottle and getting onto the retail shelf is a whole other animal. And some people aren't going to go and, and go that route. So we're we're definitely going to see the, the market shift uh, in regards to there only because of the whiskey gold rush that there is. Um, but I, I do feel that we are still poised in a, in a state where you're going to see the whiskey market continue to grow. I will say that I am That I'm fortunate, and I know know Ryan probably feels the same, that we've been able to at least get ahead of this a little bit earlier because we have an established, well, I wouldn't say established, but we are trying and attempting to establish a brand that is going to be at least somewhat relatively known or people are going to talk about it uh, versus then coming out in two to three years and having to just start from scratch. And so there's just a little bit of a, a, a head start on it.
2: I was kind of driving the other day thinking about this, where we're at, how did we get here? And it's all kind of interesting how like it's just kind of unfolded. You know, Kenny talks about the golden age of whiskey, you know, after Prohibition all the way up to probably like, you know, the 60s was probably the peak and then it kind of flatlined and then really dove off. And then because of that, that time period, four to six year old whiskey was like, that was the thing, you know, that was considered like the prime time for to bottle it, to sell it how the market was and then lower inch proof you know much smaller distillation runs open air fermentation less consistency less scientific less industrious you know type of processes back then but anyways you get the you know the glut you know you have all these people that jumped in then and then you have a glut the demand goes down it's going to vodka clear spirits whatnot wine and then because of that you have they're holding on to this product and you know, a low age product is nine years. It's twelve years, fifteen, and then you all, you have twenty plus years, and that's what that was never really sold before in that time frame. And then these distillers kind of latched on to like, well, if Scotch is doing, you know, these ultra age, ultra premium, we should try it. And then, you know, the ultra aged, ultra premium kind of got us back into this demand that we're experiencing. And you know, but the problem is there wasn't enough. <laughs> you know, it was just leftovers from you know the 80s 90s and whatnot and so they distilleries never really produced that much more and what they what they did overproduce they were supporting these other brands that like luxro or old scout or you know different companies that use contract distilling to help grow their brands and they helped these other brands build their business and so what you had is like this ultra you know high age whiskey bringing it back but the demand was kept seeking that out seeking it out and they basically drained it all and so now we're left with all right we're trying to make enough to meet the demand now but we think that we're going to keep like kenny talked about the population growing you know from 1930 to now if you do the numbers like we're not even we're close to meeting the you know the ratio that we were in the 30s and so you got all this young juice you have very little age juice and so all right, how do we make this work? And like Kenny said, there's going to be people are going to have to shift their mindset that you know a twelve year bourbon is no longer going to be thirty dollars. It's going to be one hundred twenty. Oh, easy two hundred. You know three hundred. Rightfully so. I mean, bourbon was discounted as a category for a long time. People still are kind of latching on to that that nineties two thousands to the past five years where high age whiskey at affordable price it's just no longer going to exist. And, you know, the early adopters of this are kind of pissed off about it, but there's so many new people about it and they're excited about it and they have money to spend. They're okay spending premium money on the premium products. So what you have, you're going to have is you're going to see a lot of four year younger stuff on the market, but you're also going to see more. If we, if we've seen anything through the past year, premiumization has been one thing that the audience has really gravitated towards because with COVID and everything, people are at home. They want to have a high-end experience at home. So they're okay spending money. They're okay spending extra money to have a high-end experience at home. And so they're going to spend more money on you know, higher-end products. And so what you're going to see is, too, with all these contract distillation investor barrels, there's going to be so much mar- whiskey on the market that the brands that have established themselves between probably, obviously, before Five years ago, but probably within the last three to five years, I think are really set up for success. If you're starting, say, let's say now into the next three to four years, I think it's going to be pretty tough because there's going to be so much whiskey on the market and so many brands. And if you don't have that established brand, I think it's we are going to go through like another, not glut per se, but just kind of saturation, brand fatigue. Like, how many more brands can. We support as an industry and so like now's the time that companies really have to focus on quality building a brand building a story that you know consumers can connect with you know to when we meet that time where there's just so much product that you're not just another bottle on the shelf you're already established a customer base and somebody that wants to buy your product and they want to they're gonna stick with you because typically when you you enter a product and you enter a brand that you like you're not going to leave it you you know you kind of stick with it that's what the research says and so that's what uh that's the goal i think of brands obviously the big boys haven't figured out they don't need to worry about it but you know brands that have started in the past five to seven years you know that's what we're all racing to do is try to grab that cu- customer's attention and loyalty to you know so where in the next five to seven years we can get through that saturation period I think that was that was great. And and I wanted to add one more thing on there too,
1: is because you had mentioned how hard it is for a brand right now to make a penetration into the market. And I was talking to an another a friend of mine that owns another brand earlier this past week that does mainly 90% source product is is all they do. And they've been buying from MGP for a long time. And they've mostly been doing it through different types of brokers. And They said, right now, you try to go and get six to eight year MGP on the open market, you're looking uh, like probably more than 40% Ryan that we had paid uh, a year ago. I mean, you're looking at like $4,500 for a barrel, whereas before that was 2000. Like, I mean, it was insane. Like it's insane prices. So it's really, really hard if you were to try and start a brand from scratch today on the open market because of just how crazy the prices have gone and it's there's there can be no slowing down for that until we start seeing this oversaturation of either investor barrels that come online or or something like that so if you're to do it today it's going to be very tough Um, maybe in three years you have an opportunity but even at that point you've got a lot of legwork in front of you to establish an actual brand in front of consumers
2: yeah. And two, I'll just one more point. Um, right now, whiskey's hot and it's very, you can, and if you're, you're starting a brand and you're premium, you know, you're going the premium route, it's very easy to buy, you know, say 40 to a hundred barrels and put it in a fancy package and sell it, you know, at, at you know, those small scales. What's were really tough is creating a brand that has, Market penetration just across the board, not just 10,000 bottles, but 100,000 bottles, you know, to where an everyday consumer recognizes you and has a connection with you and whatnot. But right now, it's kind of really easy for someone to go buy, you know, 12 year old Barton, put it in a really fancy bottle, and only have like a thousand bottles of it. It's going to sell out because there's not 12 year old product on there. People are just happy to have a 12-year-age product, and they're looking to spend money in this category because there's just so many new entrants. But at some point, that's going to kind of fizzle out, and you got to have a brand that connects with the everyday consumer. I feel it's probably already started to fizzle out. It's That's
0: the way it's kind of running. I don't remember the context of this. It, it's been over a year ago, but I remember Fred mentioning something, and I want to say it was related to the source whiskey products that are coming out with these ambiguous mash bills or just in general. Something I took away from what he said was talking about seeing, noticing a trend that he continuously sees repeated in the whiskey industry. So are, are there trends that you all seeing right now? Are some of the things that you're talking about right now different iterations of things that we've seen happen before that are just continually happening? Or are we facing or looking at new things that are happening in the new present market?
1: I think there's always going to be trends and and that's because what's old is new again and you're going to find these sort of cyclical patterns that will come up. And I'm not too sure if I know exactly the the pattern that Fred was referring to when it, when it comes to it, but you are always going to see trends that emerge and people that are going to follow those trends and people that are going to try and capitalize on them at the same exact time. So that's why you've, you've and I think this is probably interesting to the point as well is that uh, let's talk, let's rewind the clocks back three, four years ago, the word MGP was like, oh my gosh, like that sounds like suicide. Why would you sit there and risk your brand on being MGP? And now it's, gosh, that's the, that's the home run playbook. Why, why would, why would yeah. you not, why would you not do that? That's just one of those things that, you know, those are, those are trends that sort of like ebbed and flow where, where you didn't really see it coming, but now everybody's sort of hopping on that train. Of course, you're going to see that happen. You see the ways that everybody is continually trying to come out with some more, you know, back to the premiumization side of things. And that could be either finding uh, one-offs that they can go and try to get a little bit more brand recognition. So you find a few barrels and you say, okay, this is going to be our super limited, whatever, XYZ cask finish type of release, here you go. And that gets you a little bit of limelight for a month. And then you hope some other, uh, you get, you get product drag behind it to make sure that you can kind of continue those sales. So you're going to find some of those trends, I think continue, um, but for the most part you you're also just going to see the cyclical pattern happen you're going to see brands emerge you're going to see some brands fail you're going to see some brands get acquired you're going to see some brands that just end up fizzling out and and that's because of you know you've got so many factors that that play into this whether it's from the market whether it's from ownership and 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 brands and and making sure that you have the right people that are behind it that know exactly the type of market their people are going for, making sure they're the right people. You have the right marketing strategy. There's just so many things that that can go right
2: and can go wrong at the same exact time. It's interesting, like, you know, four, I don't know, three to four years ago, there, you know, is some, a lot of movement in mergers and acquisitions. Um, you know, startup companies like you had, you know, High West, Rabbit Hole, Old Scout, you know, Jefferson's recently, Kentucky Al, all getting kind of bought out, bought up by bigger corporations that really didn't have any bourbon presence. And so a lot of people saw that playbook and they're like, well, why can't we just do that? You know, we can buy some barrels and create a story, create a name and source the barrels and then, you know, we'll get sold out and bought. And so that's, you know, that I think too, that's kind of helped push this category and push like people getting into the category because there were so many people getting great buyouts and overnight successes, you know, yeah. The the sexy magazine cover story, you know, you know, the overnight successes, even though they weren't overnight, but people think that. And two, you know, it, it was funny I was thinking about this too, like with trends, is like seemed like three years ago, like bald and bond was the thing. Like everybody was starting to come out, you know, Bernie lovers made it like a bald and bond thing. And everybody was coming out with a bald and bond. You gotta have a bottle and bond. And it like seems now that there's like toasted at first was like Mictors did. It, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. It's kind of gimmicky, but it's kind of cool. And then more and more started doing it and more and more. And now you see the general population is just like really latched onto this toasted barrel thing. And they've accepted it. It's very easy on the beginner's palate. Very sweet. Rounds out those grain notes. Kind of like more chocolatey, like s'more campfire flavors. And so I think too, because you have so much, and I kind of talked about this on, I don't know, it was a round table or this week's suburban? bourbon. I can't remember what I do anymore. You know, because there is so much younger whiskey and there's a lot of technology coming out with different wood finishing products. You know, you see Makers Mark doing it with the R6 or whatever, wood finishing series. All of them. Yeah. While Turkey came out with Masters 1's Keep, which is like... You know, the Master Series has been, like, super premium. You're like, really? It's a toasted one? That, you, know? and you
1: would think, like, like <laughs> uh, just like the Russells in general, you'd think somebody that's so tried and true of
2: everything whiskey just being... Yeah, they're, like, pure, yeah, you know. And then them to come out with something like that. I think because of that, because it has been so widely accepted and the market has loved it, you know, with this younger whiskey, you can use a lot of these wood finishing technologies to... Elevate younger whiskey and make it more palatable at a younger age. So you throw a, you know, and you've already seen the playbook, you know, you got Nulu or Victor's or whatever doing non age stated toasted barrels and people go ape shit over them, you know. And so I just see that trend kind of continuing. Like it may not be toasted, but it might be like, well, it's been wood finishing, you know. (laughs) And there's technologies that people don't even know about that you can do to that you don't even have to put on the label. Because it's still within that new charred oak container, you know you have brands like 1910 who, you know, just rebarrel into a new barrel, and it gives it so much more sweeter, like easier flavors for the common public that they like. So I, I still see that kind of trending moving forward as well. Do you all think that? And I, and I know you've talked about it, and and I
0: see it too. You know, over the last couple of years, not that brands weren't MGP already, but even more blasted that they are, and. It's it's come across the market. A lot of brands, a lot of up and coming, a lot of similar aged prices out there. Do you think, on a whole, aside from the MGP or including, do you think the whiskey that the current whiskey drinker has access to is a uh, is the best example of uh, of bourbon of whiskey that that we've been able to have? Do you think we're in a season where It's getting there or, you know, of of the current state and what people have access to it is that and I I feel like I'm saying it kind of weird. I'm I'm trying to get the most succinct way of saying it, but is it going to get any better? Well, yeah. Is it going to get any better or is this you should be proud? This is what this is what bourbon is. So I guess where I'm saying is today's entry point into the industry. What do you all think about how people experience bourbon?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's totally different than just even five six years ago entry point was you could buy weller 12 for 27 dollars or even less and you know that's a fantastic whiskey at that price and it's definitely tougher today i'm telling you some of this new distillate that we're trying and tasting and going through there's a lot that missed the mark but the ones that are hitting it you give them age. Well, I'll give you like Barstown Bourbon Company example, and not even like because they make whiskey for us, but maybe because they do. But <laughs> <laughs> we bought some Kentucky barrels that were five years old from a famous distillery here in Kentucky. And we were so excited about it. We're like, we have this bar- distillery's barrels. And at five years old, it was so unpalatable, not ready whatsoever. Terrible. And and what you find is, like, most of the the bigger, most established distilleries, their products suck at younger ages. And a lot of these newer distilleries, it's not perfect, but at four to six years old, it's pretty damn good. It's like, wait till you get eight to 10, 12 years on this shit. I mean, good night. I mean, I'm I'm really excited about the future of the category, because I think the distillate is so much better than what we're used to with other distilleries. And so I'm excited in that regard. And too, you have a lot of, you know, we talked about with wood finishing and different technologies out there that, and all these studies that independent staves doing or Kelvin Cooperage and whatnot, and they understand so much how the distillate interacts with the wood and where to age it and whatnot. I, I just think we're going to be in a golden age of quality whiskey here like we've never seen before. I mean, yeah, 20-year Stitzel Weller is great, but that was it, (laughs) you know, back then, you know. That's, I think we're just going to have a plethora of good options, but it's just going to take time to get there. I feel like I hear
0: similar things from from craft distillers that I've talked with as well, just about the way that they're uh, approaching how they look at, the wood or grains or, or the way that they do things that they're trying to with, as you mentioned, with the technologies or just their understanding of things, you know, and talking with our friend Blake from Sealbox and Bourboner. you know, he, he, that's a sentiment that he talks about too, in, in seeing what is going to be out in the next couple of years or, you know, five, 10 years or whatever, from some of these distillers who are just thinking outside of the box from what some of the big box folks have, have been doing in, Thinking about for the last however many years.
1: Yeah. And, and I want to kind of revisit to what Ryan had mentioned at the very beginning of the show about sort of where we see this whiskey market going. And Ryan was talking about how back then you didn't you had people that were manning the stills and that were doing everything by hand, and it wasn't automated. It wasn't as perfected as that you see today. And now you you take that you take the the ability to automate a lot of this stuff. You take the ability to take in all the data points that you can gather from Kelvin and from ISC. And you are now able to kind of marry all this together to put a, a more scientific method in front of it. That says we can create a better, we can create a better whiskey now because we can do it consistently And we have the processes in place to be able to do that. And I also want to steal a quote from John Little over at Smooth Ambler, because people ask him this question all the time, is is what we have right now, is this this as best as we're going to get? And John always says, the best barrel of whiskey has yet to be made. And I truly believe that too. And I I think that we we still have so much more variability and things that you can do in this category and just the just the things that can go right and go wrong when it comes to aging and, and distillation that that we are still going to see a lot of good things still to come. And to kind of go back to your point too, Brian, man, alive getting when I got back into bourbon, like got like really, like really into it, like hunting, collecting, knowing more about it 2013, 2014 timeframe. Huh, geez, I mean we're creeping up on almost eight, ten years of that now and it's, it's not the same. It is not the same whatsoever. Access to the same isn't, isn't like that. But I do feel that the whiskey is, is constantly evolving. I'm constantly finding myself gravitating towards things that I wouldn't have, either, what should I say, not wouldn't have, but uh, away from things that I used to love. Brian brought up Weller 12 as, a, as an example earlier. Man, I used to always say Weller 12 is my is my thing that I always go to. It's my everyday kind of pour. And now I I don't really reach for it too much. It it doesn't have the complexity or the things that I'm looking for. It doesn't have this uniqueness factor to it that I I, I once really loved. And and so your your palate continually evolves. And not to say, I mean, it's a it's a great fantastic whiskey. I, I'm not trying to trying to drag on that at any point. I mean it's it's fantastic. Yeah. But I, I wanna make sure that people understand that your your palate is gonna evolve, the whiskey is gonna evolve, and you are gonna find new things out there. And so if you're just a curmudgeon and you think, eh, you know, the best whiskey that, you know, was out there was all the eight to twelve year MGP stuff and that's that's all gone. I I just don't feel like that's it's so short sighted in regards of the, the overall market and and what could potentially be out there? You you've got to make sure that you expand your horizons. You know, you're looking at different things, and that just even—I mean—that goes back to even people that are. How many arguments can we get on Facebook that says bourbon can only be made in Kentucky? I mean, that's 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 how narrow-minded some folks are. That you you've got to break out that mindset. Yes, there's there's other bourbon that comes from you know states besides Kentucky, and when you can do that, and you can think that oh, there's a A guy sitting here as well that can blend a few good things from different states that maybe you should try to give this a a try as well. So I still feel that there is a lot more room in the category for innovation for people to find new loves of new whiskeys that doesn't have to always be Kentucky bourbon. It can be a lot of different things. And the great thing is, is that we're going to see a lot of this new distillate come to age. We're going to see all these craft distilleries come online that people used to write off a few years ago because they tried to sell two to three year product and it just wasn't good. But now it's five to seven years old. And you're like, okay, now we are gotten something here. You're just going to continue to see this uh, grow, and, and I, I still feel that we are going to have more whiskey options in the next few years than we ever have had before, because what did you have a few years ago? You had the big guys, you had your, your, your big distilleries that had a few advantages. They had stocks, they had age, and they had time on their side. And what could they do is they could dominate the market with their three or four mash bills and their 82 different brands, and that's what people had the choice of. Now you're going to have not only just those, but you're going to have a ton of other distilleries, a ton of blenders out there, a ton of NDPs that are putting their own spin on things. And now you've got your choice of 200 different options out there and it's just not from the other labels that were created from the four or five different mash bills that you saw from the 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 big distilleries out there so i think that you as a i think
2: we're still gonna still see a a golden age of whiskey here in the next few years you know i don't think eight years ago if if i had to create a product out of you know a premium product out of four to five year old whiskeys i couldn't do it Because the distillate available out there just wouldn't cut the mustard for me, you know, with what was available. But now, you know, with what the options we have, there's some great distillate that at four to five years is fantastic. Two, I I think blending is, you know, blend got a dirty connotation because of Canadian, you know, in neutral grain spirits and whatnot. But, you know, scotch, that's kind of where the scotch world has been. You know, blending is... You know, there, there's tons of contra There's only a few producers in Scotland, but there's a ton of blenders, and they all have their own unique spin. You know, you see companies like Barrel. You know, they just do fantastic job with marrying all these different distillates and from different states, and putting a great unique unique product out there. Dixon Dedman with Kentucky Al, You know, kind of doing that with some great aged Kentucky stock. I mean, you you see it from like Four Roses too. You know, like in their limited editions blending you know, they're six different, is it six or no, 10 different recipes or what is it? How many? Hey, ten.
1: Look, they have 10 in their in their, ten, in their yeah. base product, but yeah, you're, you're right. They, and even in their limited editions, every single year, they grab
2: three to six different recipes and put them together. And so you have to like, I think where the source brands have an opportunity and kind of where we're hanging our hat on too is like, Hey, yeah, we're sourcing. We're going to give all the credit to the distiller, but we're going to, we're going to highlight what we think's best from these distillations and offer the best representation we think. And that's going to be different from somebody else. We think what we can blend and offer is, and other people too, you know, barrel does that too. Not, not to say that we're the only ones that can do it, but I I think that's the fun part of it is blending all these different pieces together. Guys,
0: I really appreciate tonight's topic. I thought it was a really fun, engaging one. I'm glad we didn't just talk about, trends, but we kind of really talked about just, you know, the state of where things are, and I'm optimistic about what's to come. That's something I didn't really think a lot about. Maybe it's just that I think a little bit short-sighted, but it makes me excited to see what's going to keep happening with Pursuit and what's going to keep happening with other brands as we continue with this in the next couple of years and into the future. Yeah, I feel like this is definitely a, a topic that we could we could bring back up. I'm sure. We'll do a part two. I'm sure we could talk for four more hours about all the different things that are going on. For anyone who's listening, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the industry today and what you're most looking forward to uh, either later this year or just into the future. Feel free to email us, podcast at pursuitspirits.com. If you have questions for the guys, if you all have show topics, feel free to email us there. I'd love to get some of those together and maybe, who knows, bring them out here on the show. However you all found us, we're glad you're here as we get behind the scenes with Pursuit Spirits, Behind the Pursuit. Thanks everybody for tuning in tonight.